Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cooper. And today we're talking about the economics of attention, which transitions into a discussion of digital assistance. So I wanted to talk about attention economics today. We've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, I wanted to explore it further. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is it just seems like something different is happening in this area of attention in the last 20 years or so. Uh, but one of the first things I want to do is try to pinpoint what that is. Um, and this is going to be a bit exploratory because I don't know exactly what my thesis is here. Okay. But so let's talk, talk about in- attention generally, first of all. Right? Okay. So attention we've talked about before as a scarce resource, something that uh, people compete for. And it feels like that competition for attention has increased. Has the competition for attention increased or has the uh, importance, the economic importance of, of attention increased, you think? Um, well, I definitely think that's true. I definitely think the economic importance of it seems to have increased. Yeah, that I think is uncontroversial at this point. That um, seems right. But, okay, so let's just talk about some general trends, right? Maybe, sure. we, maybe we can pull from there. Because some of these things aren't new, right? I mean, uh, and but some of them maybe are, and that's what I'm sort of trying to figure out. So, right. uh, obviously, communication is completely different than it was 100 years ago, right? So we have the rise of mass media, and then we have the rise of the internet. Right. Uh, and just lowered barrier to broadcasting one's own thoughts within reach of the entire globe. Right. Uh, that's m- more easy than ever. Uh, and so that would imply maybe more increased competition because if I, I if, I, if I'm trying to grab the attention of people right. as an individual, uh, with an internet connection, uh, I can compete in that battle. Sure. Maybe not well, you know, well, it, some of the winners are people just like that. Exactly. Right, right, right. Um, so if you have more and you know, you might compare that to an earlier time where say like a newspaper era, right? Where you have no television, you have no internet, you just have newspapers. And of course they're competing for attention. Uh, but it seems like you have less players in that space, right? Right, right. Yeah. You have these gatekeepers who control what goes in the pages of the newspaper and you have to pretty much appeal to one of them if you want your message out. Right. And, and they might be in very ferocious competition with each other and every little shop and so on might be competing for attention with the signs that they put up. So it's not like there's no competition for attention uh, in, in the world of 50 or 100 years ago, but it does feel like there's more voices competing now or they're... Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how to phrase this right. So this is going to come out awkward, but I, okay. I, I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm starting to catch what you're, what you're laying down here, okay. which is, uh, of course, people have always competed for attention, but I think the size of the market, both in terms of the number of potential eyeballs that you could catch with your attention and in terms of the number of people who would compete on that stage in that town square or whatever it is, that's what's changed, right? Like in the pre-mass media time, you would only have the option of capturing the attention of the people who were in the square at that time. And you could step on a soapbox and speak. But uh, the other hand, there'd only be a few other people in town who would also be stepping on soapboxes nearby and speaking. Right. 
And so you'd have a reasonably egalitarian chance, a reasonably you know equal chance at getting that small amount of attention locally. But you, there was really no way for you to get the attention of of you know a larger group. Right, it's global now. But as the market has gotten right, mass media made it um, uh, super local. You know, it made uh, regions. You know, like uh, the the amount of space that a radio station can broadcast to, or something like that, mm-hmm. um, is now the size of the square. But the number of voices goes up, and then the internet is like a gigantic town square that we're all in mm-hmm. and the number of voices becomes cacophonous right uh, right to some degree i mean i think there's some there's some i can see some trajectory there that like attention economics changes as both the number of eyeballs capturable goes up and the number of people competing for those eyeballs goes up right so uh, and mm-hmm. and as you were saying that i thought of a, another way to put that might be that the the physical limitations have gone away Right. And that is that was a filter, right? right. So uh, a lot of the globe is just being filtered out by virtue of the fact that if I'm in a town square 100 years ago, most of the globe cannot hear right. possibly hear me. Right. 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 Whereas now the only thing filtering out most of the globe is the fact that they may not know who I am. But that's different than a physical limit. Right. They, there's no physical limit to the entire globe paying attention to, you know, your Twitter feed or whatever. So... Again, so I, what I want to claim is it seems like there's increased competition for eyeballs, right? And that there's more people competing. Does that still sound, does that sound correct now that right, we've unpacked right. it a little bit? So, right. I'm, like, I'm not certain about is there increased competition per eyeball, but there's definitely increased competition for this gigantic total pie of eyeballs. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, there's more competitors. There's definitely more competitors. There's more competitors fighting over the same turf. Well, no, it's over bigger turf, though, I think. So I'm not sure it's over the same turf. But yes, I'm definitely sure there's more competitors. Well, the turf is now the entire globe. Right, right. And a really successful competitor in that turf can actually gain far more turf than was ever possible before, right? Right. But there's also the possibility of carving out niche turf. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's a little more complex than just there are, there are more competitors for each eyeball. I'm not sure of that. But there's definitely more competitors overall, and they are definitely competing on a much more even playing field than ever before. Right, and the ceiling is higher, right? You yes. Can, you can be incredibly successful at gathering the attention of the entire world. Much higher, yes. So, okay, so what would be some of the things we'd expect from this type of competition? One of the things is that you'd see, uh, I think, just a lot of innovation, True. right? Um, just from people competing and people in sort of an evolutionary fashion, right? People try strategies to get attention. Uh, A lot of people are part of that competition. Now, a lot of them are throwing out new and novel strategies. The ones that work succeed and continue. And Um, either get copied by others or by the original person and they propagate. Right. So yeah, that's, I feel like we are seeing that. Right. Yeah. And we would expect that our attention getting technology might improve. Right. I mean, again, in, back in the days of yellow journalism, it might be sort of the same basic concepts at work, but right. they, they might not have actually had the same. It uh, does seem like, right. The whole history of mass media is like attention getting technology is getting better. Right. And innovation being driven by, you know, market forces, by the fact that companies wanted your attention and then people like public relations people and ad people mm-hmm. would invent crazy ways to get your attention. But now we've got the whole world doing it for free. Now it's like, you know, it's gone digital. The same thing that happens 
when anything goes digital, you know, the, right. the users are creating the content. They're creating it for their own benefit. There's no money necessarily involved. And in many cases, they're just getting attention for its own sake. And it, it becomes its own sort of closed, closed goal. Right. Yeah. And when I say um, attention getting technology too, I don't mean the same technology that's making the communications different. I mean like oh, I, I, strategies, right? right? I know what you meant. You yeah. mean like strategies to catch attention as employed by people doing various things. Which is basically going to amount to psychology, right? Like what works psychologically on the human brain <laughs> to get and hold attention. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is kind of where I'm going with this because it feels like, um, well, a couple of things we could say is like, if someone's trying to get your attention, right? Mm-hmm. The things that you want to pay attention to might be things that are useful to you or that are interesting to you, or they might not be, right? There's going to be some overlap there, right? Between the things that you w- would want to pay attention to and the things that you are psychologically driven to pay attention to, but they're obviously not completely the same, right? There's, there's a bit of dissonance there, right? And I think that's something... So this is like the source of all belly aching about Facebook, I mean, that, that is ex- obviously right. a part of this, right? right? But it's not, I mean, it, it's much bigger than, even than that. Sure. But, but I mean, basically, uh, the only thing, if, if you're like fighting for attention in this Darwinian battle, right? right for eye- you're competing for eyeballs on a global scale now, yeah. right? And using the best possible psychological strategies. Yeah. Then what is going to rise to the top is simply what works psychologically and not necessarily what brings value to the consumer, uh, not necessarily what conveys a coherent or certainly not true message um, and not what adheres to any sort of aesthetic guidelines, right? right. Um, so it's it's just simply what works, right? And of course, everyone's familiar with the idea that, you know, you might pay attention to an awful uh, train wreck. You know, like like when people like rubberneck on the road, right? right. Like they slow down to look at an accident right. and they maybe regret looking at it if it's a really bad accident. It doesn't right. make you feel any better, right. but it's the kind of thing that you can't look away from. Yeah. So if you can, you know, psychologically create uh, a digital version of a train wreck, you can gather eyeballs, but this doesn't really mean you're supplying any value to the people looking at it. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because it's an economic situation where the currency is is this attention, right? It's not... So it doesn't, you don't get, you don't get people, um, making an active choice to like spend their money. Once they've paid attention to it, they've already spent their attention. So it's, it's in a way it's like stealing from them. You know, you can trick them into giving them, giving away their money before they have made a a choice. Yes. And that's what I, okay. That's a really good transition because it seems like the business model now increasingly, because this is what you have to do to succeed Mm -hmm. is get attention first. Right. Aggregate attention and then resell it. Then monetize it later. Right. 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 Um, And even, you know, if you're buying, you know, the old newspaper in the town square with the guy shouting at you, Mm -hmm. I mean, the assumption I think originally was that you would, you know, pay a nickel for it or something, right? I think that is exactly what you would do, yeah. Yeah, so they, they'd like, get... would bite the nickel to make sure it was real. <laughs> right, right. But now it's like they, they already, you know, that the actual purchase, if there is one, yeah. right, uh, or any money transaction gets shifted later and later, right? Right. Although, to be fair, even those old newspapers also ran classifieds and ads and things. Right, right. So and, they had more than one method of support. But sure, yeah, there was some amount of transaction up front 
that you paid for, um, which now you pay in your attention. Right. And anytime you have to do something more affirmatively, right? right? And it maybe it's, you know, it doesn't have to be paying money. Although, I mean, that's a very affirmative move, right? It could be creating a login, uh, like anything where you have to sort of assert that you want this thing. Right. It's a cost. Um, that's a cost that, you know, is going to like, if, if somebody puts that cost on the thing that they're trying to advertise or put out in the world, right, it's not going to get seen by as many people. Right. But at the same time, that affirmation from the viewer or reader or audience is, is one of the ways to ensure that, you know, the values are aligned of the person viewing the thing and the person creating the thing. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. That's how you get your market forces coming in and actually uh, pushing the market toward producing things people want. Right. As opposed to just things that can momentarily trick people, um, like a clickbait headline or something like that. Right. Which, if which I, nobody it, wants, by right, definition. Right. If I stumble upon a clickbait headline in the process of just trying to do like research on something. Right. Right. That, um, I never affirmed that I wanted that. Right. Um, whereas, you know, I might choose to surf directly to that website. That would be more like affirmative choice. Right. And that would imply that I think I'm going to get some value out of it. Right. But if it just kind of comes at me, right. I don't, there's, there's no assumption that it's supplying any value to me at all. It just works on me psychologically. Well, those are, those are particularly pernicious because the headline implies that it's going to supply some value to you and then you get there and it doesn't, right? That's sort of what that is definitionally. So there's a trick involved in, in those things. Yeah, but I don't think when you're trying to manipulate people's psychology, I mean, that's only one way to do it, right? Sure. Is to tell them that you're going to give them value. I mean, another way to do it is to just, again, like no one thinks they're going to get value when they slow down to look at a car accident, um, but they do it anyways. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, or I don't know. Well, like, I don't, yeah, I don't think I can't even imagine what you think you just, you just do it without even thinking. That's the point. Right. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) I mean, so what are the, what are the strategies to, um, to get and hold attention? Right. So obviously like the one I keep talking about is an example, like of a car wreck or a train wreck. Um, it's just really awful, unpleasant things Mm -hmm. attract your attention. Mm -hmm. So that's one strategy. I mean, that's the trolls use this. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And and a troll is like, is there a, any analogy to trolls in recent history? Right. I mean, this is like, I mean, obviously the term is new. Right. But well, what would I'm, be an old version of a troll? I feel like you know, there's roots of trolling in pranks of various kinds. Okay. Right. Uh, where you're like telling somebody a lie or taking a position you don't actually hold in order to get a rise out of them. Like that's the goal, you know. Uh, but. It definitely seems like trolling is an, you know, it's an online phenomenon. You need to have the low barrier of, uh, of response and you need to have the kind of online conversation culture in order for trolling to really work. You know, you have to be able to bait somebody into a long, pointless conversation, right? you know, which you can't necessarily do in every medium that there's a cultural element to that too. Well, it's interesting that you brought up, uh, Pranks, actually, because that reminds me of this old prank artist, uh, like Joey Skaggs. He used to do pranks on the media. Mm-hmm. This is kind of quaint now, but even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, you know, he would do things like uh, advertise like a prostitution service for dogs. You know, <laughs> it was totally bogus. Doesn't exist. Like, get your dog laid. Take it to this prostitution <laughs> service. And you put a fake ads for it and uh, just wait for the media to report on it and not fact check it. Right. And like have 
people right. come on and talk how this is an outrage. How it's terrible, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so that that obviously works. I mean, again, that sounds quaint now, but <laughs> in a way, but like, I mean, if you say something awful, I just, you know, whether you do it anonymously or not, or skillfully or not, I think that's a pretty good strategy to get people to be like, well, what? Right. right. Sure. Um, so that's one of the things you would expect to rise to the top. Yep. And right? we have certainly seen that, as you mentioned, there's these professional trolls. Now there's the Milo's of the world. There's professional trolls, and to some extent, this just infiltrates all news, right? right, right Which, right. like, is tends to be bad, but it's just a right, well-known right. phenomenon. I mean, every newsmaker is, like, somebody who's taking some absurd position, it seems like, these days. Um, okay, so that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, another strategy is, like, actually using uh, behavioral psychology. Uh, so there's a famous psychologist... B.F. Skinner, whose name oh, gets yeah. thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy who put uh, created these quote Skinner boxes. Is is the rat the term. boxes. Yeah, it was often rats or pigeons. Uh-huh. Uh, he did a lot of experiments with animals, uh-huh. right? Where he'd put them in what's, I mean, the the more technical term for a Skinner box is a operant conditioning chamber. <laughs> but I mean, we don't have to get too technical about it. But basically, you'd put an animal in a box uh-huh. and you'd give it, uh, you know, access to rewards like food, um, and you'd do different what are called reward schedules right so, so the way these boxes work is like they hit a lever or something right uh yeah sometimes it's they they hit a certain lever to get the reward but i mean it depends you can set it up a lot of different ways yeah. i mean the idea is that you're controlling everything that they have access to mm-hmm. um and you're monitoring their stimulus and what they uh how they respond and so on so it's, yeah. it's really just like it's a so just like just in case anybody's not familiar like the basic case the simplest way to think of it is what you have a box you've got a pigeon in a box it's got a lever and well again it doesn't necessarily have a lever but like for example it could be that um you know every time uh you know a a certain colored light comes on like a food pellet comes out Mm -hmm. right um or every time they peck maybe there is a lever every time they peck at a certain spot a food pellet comes out right or it could be like every third time they peck at a certain spot, a food pellet comes out. Well, this is the main thing, right? They varied the ver- they varied the rules, right? They varied the rules and they tried different tried things different to see. Things. Right. right. So so one of the findings of this, right. um, and again, I'm no expert on this, obviously, but, uh, but w- one of the findings as I understand it mm-hmm. was that one of the types of reward structures that got the most engagement over time was, was what's called a variable ratio reward schedule. Right. And right? what does that basically mean as far as if I'm the bird in the box... What's happening? What's so happening? variable implies a certain amount of uh, randomness, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and it's it's a ratio reward schedule. So you might get um, a reward every five pecks or every six pecks or every seven pecks. Um, so you have a consistent reward ratio, but it's not every seven pecks is what you're saying. But, but that it's ratio... randomized. But that ratio varies within a certain range. Got it. Right? Um. So maybe you have to peck 10 times, maybe you only have to peck twice, but over a long period of time, it'll average out around seven or something. Sure. Something like that. Right. Got it. And, and that has been... That's what gets the bird to peck the most? Is that what that means? Exactly. That, okay. It creates the most consistent engagement. So, right. so I just wanted to, yeah, get through that. Well, it kind of makes a certain amount of sense, right? Because if you, if let's say it's, it's a... It's the f- most confounding option, right? Well, if it's a fixed reward schedule like every 10 pecks right you get a food pellet right 
right? Then you're going to peck exactly 10 times. Every time you're hungry. Get the right. food pellet and, and rest. Right. Right? Right. But if it's somewhat random, you just like... Then you have some incentive to keep pecking. Keep pecking and you don't know when the reward is coming. Right. And, and if it doesn't come often enough, then probably you get discouraged. Sure. So it seems like the, the happy medium is it comes relatively frequently. Right. But you never know exactly when it's going to come. Right. So you always have that like incentive to peck one more time. Right. Yeah. Now again... It sounds like a casino. Yes. Well, and that's where, that's, that's where you usually hear about this stuff, right? right? Is in terms of slot machine design. Right. 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 So the people that design slot machines know a lot more about this than I do. Again, <laughs> yes. I, again, I'm, I'm just, you know, giving the best summary I can give from doing uh-huh. a little bit of research. Right. Um, but this is the kind of uh, psychological research that people use when designing slot machines in order to keep people putting quarters in. Right. Right. Which is they people get rewards, but not at a consistent or fixed ratio, but at a variable ratio. Right. 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 Um, and any interactive system can apply this in, to some fashion. Right. And again, there are game designers and game design studios that are very explicit about using these methods as well. I feel like uh, games on the phone seem to feel particularly like this. Well, again, so if you... This is where it comes back to attention, right? Because what you're doing, this is a strategy for maximizing attention. Right. Um, and so... But you necessarily... You haven't maybe gotten buy-in in the form of money yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of these... You know, the, the term free to play, right, describes a lot of these mobile games that you can download and start playing for no upfront cost, right? Again, right, and then they make you buy something in the game. They make you buy something in the game. Some of them have advertising in the game, right, so some of them right. are just the traditional advertising model. Got it. Yeah, but other ones, you know, will hit you with micropayments later, right, Right, that they want you to make. Um, so... And, and again, people have also suggested that this is the same strategies that, you know, social media websites use, right? Because they're also trying to foster engagement. I mean, the, the motives of a free-to-play mobile app, you know, that's trying to get you to keep playing and look at their ads and buy in-game rewards are, are very similar to the motives of, say, like Facebook or Twitter um, to continue using their service and viewing their ads and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Right? So... What is the, um, what is the randomness element in the in a social media site? Like the uh, way it surfaces stuff. To me, the thing that feels the most like a slot machine in Facebook is the notifications number. Right, right. right? Every so often, it seems to notify you of something, whether or not there's actually something to notify you of. Right. Like, I mean, I almost feel like I hear a mental like ka-ching <laughs> when there's like a little red two there. Yeah. And it's just like I just want to click it. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's, uh, I mean, a lot of times it's like real, something really useless to me, like an event invite uh, from somebody I met six years ago and I don't even remember who they are. Uh, right, right. But every once in a while it's like something exciting. Or you sometimes know? it appears to be purely fabricated. Like it'll just be an update on mm-hmm. the pages I own or like it'll just be like, um, It'll just be like, you know, review the future, got one new view today or whatever. Or sometimes it's like <laughs> reminders. <laughs> it would be something that, that I don't care about at all. And it's not like a high number or anything. There's no reason for them to tell me. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, and, and they, you know, just make sure that you're getting a certain amount of these. I mean, it certainly seems that way. I think that's what it is. I think they, they make sure you get one, at least one every so often. And then they give you however many you really have. But if it's zero, they, they make some up. <laughs> Yeah, they make some up. And no matter how yeah. often you change your notification settings and turn things off, they turn on new ones and create new ones. Yeah, and none of that seems to affect the desktop anyway, right? It's like they 
they still just shove everything yeah. into that giant list. But what it does is every yeah. time you log into those services, yeah. right, there's a number there yeah. from, you know, one to, I mean, sometimes it's zero. Again, it's, 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 but fairly consistently, but still randomly. Several times a day at least. It yeah. Will be, it will be more than one. So yeah. it keeps you checking their service. Yeah. Right. Oh, no notifications now. Right. Right. Oh, notifications this time. Right. Right. Um, you know, maybe like every three to four times I check. I'll peck the. Exactly. Icons. We're just pigeons in a box. Uh, <laughs> pecking a pecking, little F icon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, and so, I mean, if you start to think about it that way, I mean, those, I think those strategies are getting used anywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere, because mm-hmm. you can use them in any interactive system. And that, that is a new thing, right? Because again, you know, we go back to the town square and the person selling newspapers and so on, the guy in the soapbox. I mean, there's no, um, that was an interactive. They didn't have the ability to like generate the newspaper fresh each time. And, you know, like, yeah, it's so not really interactive to the same degree. They didn't have the technological ability to really do that. Yeah. yeah, so there's a whole new area of psychological tricks that you can exploit there. Right, right. Um, and you got to assume that that's only going to get more effective. Yeah. Um, another thing that might uh, get your attention would be something that's like an easily understood story or narrative. Yes, right. And stories are very powerful because they don't just catch attention; they also create meanings. Right. Um, and sometimes the truth is a simple narrative and sometimes the truth is not a simple narrative. Right. Yeah. But the simple ones we're going to, we're going to understand better. Right. Right. Uh, we're going to pay more attention to. We're going to remember them better. Right. I don't know if they catch your attention immediately better. Probably they do. I'm not sure about that. I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but they definitely will stick and spread. Well, they'll sustain your attention. Right. I guess, I mean, maybe like we should be talking about like, two separate things here, which is like getting your attention to begin with right. is different strategies than sustaining your attention. Right. And it seems like the first thing we talked about, which is being outrageous is better at catching your attention than keeping it. Right. Whereas I feel like the Skinner box stuff is the opposite. Getting you to click the first time is probably the hardest thing that they have to do on one of those phone games. Right. And then once you've clicked the first time, then you're in the system. Then every click makes it like more likely you're going to stick around for one more click. Right up to a certain point anyway. Now, something that we've talked about before when we did our advertising episode too, is that um, if you're trying to get attention, then the same strategies might not work on all people, right? So micro-targeting mm-hmm. is something that is always uh, being improved, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the most recent news story that people might be familiar with is this this uh, company, Cambridge Analytica. Are you familiar with this? No. What's up? I guess you would call them a public relations firm. Apparently, they were hired by the Trump campaign, and prior to that, they were they worked for the Ted Cruz campaign. Okay. They also were hired by pro-Brexit supporters. Mm. So they have two very recent, well-known electoral victories. Unforeseen successes. Yeah, and they uh-huh. advertise themselves as, you know, offering an election engineering service, more or less. Okay. Actually, as I'm pulling up their website now, so I can be a little more specific about this. Okay, so I, I, I'm seeing that apparently their parent company describes itself as a global election management agency. Nice. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I, I've read about this, and there are some, I think, articles about this that I think maybe exaggerate what this company might have pulled off for these campaigns. I think it's, it's people, again, people want an easy narrative, right? That's what, you know, makes for a good article. Right. Um, so I, I've definitely seen articles that say like, oh, this explains, you know, these like weird upsets is like mm-hmm. the, this tactics that are used by this Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably 
false. I mean, I don't know how... Or overstating, maybe? I think it's probably overstated. I'm sure, you know, like... So if, what is it that they do differently? Do we know? But that here's the thing. What they do is, I think, interesting. Whether mm-hmm. or not it was a decisive factor in these big victories, which sure. I'm skeptical of, um, is they're trying to micro-target personality types, right? Rather ah, than yes. demographic groups. Right. Right? So traditionally, you would, you know, micro-targeting would be... Uh, we're going to design an ad for, you know, males age 30, right? Or maybe white males age 30 or whatever it is, right? right? So you just like pick a demographic slice. Right. Um, they're trying to use um, very actually traditional, uh, I forget the psychologist that devised them, but, you know, personality categories. Oh, like Myers-Briggs type stuff? Exa- that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, the kind of thing that, you know, normally you would fill out a, uh, questionnaire right. of say 20 questions and then they figure out where you were on like scales like openness and you know right. you, everyone how, how yeah. introverted or extroverted you are or how whatever exactly things like that yeah um, risk tolerant things like that except right. instead of necessarily having you answer a questionnaire they claim to be able to get this information figured out just by your facebook likes Got like it. what's your history of what do you like and then they use crunch some like data mm-hmm. and they can like place you into one of these personality types sure um, and then they can make an ad just for you. So again, maybe two people are both 50 year old white females, right? But one of them, you know, is more concerned with, uh, safety, right? Like that's just part of their personality type. Uh-huh. So then you would market like a different campaign ad to that woman than you would to the other woman, even though they're technically in the same demographic group right. and like a normal marketing campaign would not distinguish between them. Right. Um, you would show them each a different ad that was tailored to supposedly how they think. Right, right, right. And yeah, I don't know anything about this company or their methods or if they're effective, but that type of strategy does intuitively seem like A, the direction things are going to go in and B, a successful strategy for expanding the efficacy of advertising. Like just knowing more about the people, uh, getting more information about them from wherever you can get it, crunching the numbers in a way that, that... is empirically correct, you know, and then feeding them something more tailored to them, no matter how you're, no matter the specifics, just right. seems like generally a fruitful strategy that, you know, maybe not every instance of that will work, but I would expect instances of that to work. Right. I don't think we can blame this company for these election victories. But, I'm blaming them. But uh, I, I think that that is. That does seem like the future. I'm writing an angry letter right now. Right. And uh, I mean, guaranteed more money is going to go into more innovation on this front if it if it works at all. And at a certain point, like, I mean, there's a lot of advertising that historically I think doesn't work as well as it's supposed to have worked, right? There's and that's... A, there's a famous quote about this. Right. Yeah. Um, what is that famous quote? Uh, it's like something along the lines of, I know half my advertising doesn't work if I could just figure out which half. Oh, yeah. If, uh, yeah. Who? I wonder who that is. But... It's some, you know, it's somebody who's not that famous. I remember looking it up for, for another thing that we did. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I think that that half of is obviously a, uh, a round, you know, a, an estimate, um, right. but it's possible that most advertising doesn't work. <laughs> um, certainly what we're finding from on- online advertising is telling us a lot more about what types of ads work, um, because they actually can track if you clicked the ad and bought the thing. Right. <laughs> In many cases. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I think we're learning about that now, but I don't think in the past we've really known. We've always known it has some effect, but we've never really had good data on 
on what? I don't know. So, so what does all this add up to? I, I guess to me, it just seems like, um, you know, we get a lot of services now for free. Right. Because of this. Or in exchange for our attention. Right. In yeah. exchange for our attention. And we've talked about that in the past. I mean, I guess the, the only real difference here is I feel less positively about this than I used to. I mean, just because it's, so, it's becoming more apparent to me what the issue is, right? Which is this disconnect between actually supplying value to someone and what actually psychologically works on them, right? That that gulf uh, can become quite large. Right, right. So it's, you know, we're attacking the rational actor. We're saying you can't be a rational actor in an attention economy because too often your attention is stolen from you by something that just works on your psychology but doesn't actually, where you would not make an affirmative choice if you had the option. Right, and it doesn't seem like that gets any better right again if we talk if if this some of this well hang on because here's how it gets better okay technology arms race the way it gets better is my technology protects me from ads and from distractions better and better because it knows me this is how it right so ad block gets married to siri siri knows what i want siri knows my habits siri knows my weaknesses and I can pay Siri to keep everybody else at bay. Like basically like antivirus right? for your mind. Antivirus for your mind. Uh, okay. Well, so <laughs> that transitions to like a sort of a, I, I saw a startup idea that's somewhat relevant to this. Maybe okay. uh, uh, I, I saw the, a company called brave. Okay. I don't know this company. Okay. So I, I, I don't know how far along they are again. I, I don't particularly care about this specific company or whether it's <laughs> right. going to succeed, but I thought the concept was interesting. Okay. The concept is ad blocking. Uh-huh. Um, so they block all your ads, mm-hmm. um, but they allow you to pay. Like it's also like a platform for paying the sites that you visit. Okay. Directly um, using like microtransactions and it's powered by Bitcoin. But it kind of it hides the Bitcoin from you. That's part of its back end, uh-huh. right? So you can, you know, put so in you a, pay it in dollars or whatever your country. Yeah, and it is. chops that up into tiny, microscopic, you know, you know, sub tracks bits where you of go. Bitcoin. Is that how it works? And then pays some money to whatever blog you something are. like that. Yeah, got it. Okay. Um. So I think that's that. When I first heard that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a form of solution to this, right? Mm-hmm. Although if it's doing it automatically it's not really a solution at all, right? Because it's just, you're no longer, you're no longer seeing the ads, but then you're still just, the sites you visit are still the ones that sort of grab your eyeballs, however they do that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Although I think still visiting a site still is, you know, a bit more of an affirmative choice than an ad. Well, like we said earlier, there's two different jobs here. There's catching your attention and there's keeping it. Right. And both of them can be gained. Right. So the part that this seems to solve is the catching your attention part, right? Right. Where the ad hijacks your attention and then you have to look at, you know, an ad for a speaker because you were searching for speakers yesterday Mm -hmm. instead of the content you wanted to read. That's a cost to you. Right. Right. So this gets rid of that and it, it does it in a way that's kind to the content producer, which is nice, I guess. Um, But if the content is clickbait content that, you know, had a great headline, made you think there was going to be something there, you clicked through it, you wanted the content, and then you just didn't get it, 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's one of these Skinner box things where it gets you to start doing something and then it's using random rewards to keep you engaged when really it's beyond its usefulness to you. Right. Then this isn't going to help you. Now th- you need th- a different solution for that. You need, you need Siri to come in and be like, it seems like you're wasting a lot of time on this, Ted. Maybe you should take a break, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you need, you need that, uh, you need that more aggressive intervention where your technology is actually making value judgments on your behalf based on like, you've told it in the past, like, I want to be spending this much time working and this much time goofing off. And then it's looking at your, your numbers and going, you're not going to make your, <laughs> your schedule. <laughs> right, right. That's true. And, and I also think there's going to, there's intended to be controls in a, in this app um, that would, you know, like maybe you could go like after you visited something and then you thought like, Oh, in hindsight that sucked. And that was like, not good. And actually like negate any payment going to them. Right. 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 Although again, that requires like a power user that's going into control panels and, and monitoring themselves. Right. And the best, the better way to handle that is just don't go back to that site, you know? And like, right. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's interesting. But I think like, I mean, I don't think this is a perfect solution, but I think some kind of move back to, I don't know, I, I guess I, I feel strangely about this because, you know, I, it almost, I, I feel more positively now and thinking about it this way about a subscription service. Well, that's the thing about advertising based media of any kind, right? Which is that if you're not paying, you're the product, you know? If you're not paying, you're getting sold. And there's always some incentives that are misaligned when that's the case, whether it's the right. old mass media or, or... Right, and that's why this is nothing new, but yeah. it, but I feel like it's the scale of it is somehow feels new. Well, the power of the technology to take advantage of these perverse incentives and, you know, hack your brain, basically, into uh, paying attention when you don't want to. That's where it's different. Or like, I mean, the flow of television is sort of designed to keep you paying attention when you don't want to, right. which is during the ad breaks, right? So when the ad comes on, the reason they're short and the reason they cut quickly and the reason they're in between mm-hmm. segments of the story, that's the, none of that's on accident. That's all so that you watch them, if, right? Um, even though we know you don't want to watch them. We know you'd rather miss them. Right. But you're going to sit through there because you don't want to miss the next bit of the story. You don't know exactly when it's coming on. It might be two ads. It might be three. It might be four. And they're going to be over quickly. So all those things are designed to keep you watching, but none of that's as powerful as a Skinner box, right? Like they just don't have the technology on broadcast television to, to fuck with you as hard as like a cell phone game can. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can tell if you, the particular user are like, you know what I mean? They can tailor the experience to you. They can have just a lot more variety. I mean, the other thing too, that doesn't, that, it seems more true is, and you mentioned it earlier is that the economic value of attention, I mean, maybe not like of an individual eyeball, but the fact that you can become, I mean, for the, the term that I always have in my head is attention air, right? Like attention air, like a, someone who's wealthy in attention, <laughs> I feel like is wealthier than someone who's wealthy in dollars now. Right, right. Right. I think it's like such a valuable thing and it's it's kind of, that i feel like is a new phenomenon right and there's right? a direct connection to power with it right i mean right. if you have a lot of instagram followers you can or twitter followers you can say something you can say you know come to this place and people will show up you know like you have power that normally we would think of as being like power that comes with money like corporate power 
or power right. that comes with elections, like government power. There's not that many people in the past who had that kind of power just personally. I mean, maybe like Martin Luther King did, but not like regular, ordinary folks. You know? Right. I mean, if you were the king, you could make a proclamation and people would have well, to pay attention. Power. Right. And right. the government can always do this. Right. But I mean, for private people to, to be able to gather a large crowd on a drop of a hat, you know, or something like that, that's, that's power that didn't exist before. Right, right. And it almost always, I think, as we see, like, leads to other forms of power. Right. It's a way of getting other forces. Right, right, right. Right. Whether it's a political rally or, a, you know, a customer base for a product or whatever. There was right. one other, like, concept that I just wanted to discuss that has to do with attention economics, right? Okay. Um, so, what do, you, what, what do you think of when I say a, uh, attention auction? Attention auction sounds like an audience group of some kind gets together and says, we will sell our attention to the highest bidder. Sure. Um, so, I don't know, just for, a, a, for instance, a group of science fiction fans gets together and says... Right, they know, all, they're all clustered around some demographic right, group. We're, yeah. the, we're the science fiction association mm-hmm. of the internet, and we will pay attention to anything that follows the following guidelines. It has to be the highest bidder, and has to be in some demonstrable way science fiction go <laughs> and, I, and, and, and we yeah we say we wrote a graphic novel called let go right and uh we would like the science fiction association of the internet to look at it right and we can pay you know a hundred bucks per five minutes that you guys read this thing you know and we'll, oh, we're rich all of a sudden i i don't know i, I like just, this future i mean I, I mean i'm not saying i could afford this i'm just saying right, like right. i'm just trying to imagine what would be plausible sure right so let's it, say we pay them for their attention right now right. is that is that is that any kind of is that something new or is that just like well reimagining of something gonna, we already have is that ever going to happen in that direct fashion is the question right i mean on a there's a level on which that's a model for what happens now <laughs> but it's not direct. We don't, right? We don't pay them directly. We, they choose to voluntarily read something for free. They see ads or they somehow engage in, in some involuntary thing. That part pays us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's subscription models where, you know, you pay Netflix or whatever and they don't show you any ads and whatever you click, they show it to you and that's that, you know? And they pay the producers of content directly to make the content. Mm-hmm. The content goes to them. Um, that model exists. I don't know. It seems too creepy and weird to me to ever, <laughs> to ever actually like have that become the model where like you just admit that you are like selling your attention. In a is see, way. is it creepy and weird? Because I mean, it wouldn't have to come with any strings attached to say like, they don't have to give us a good review. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't even have to write a review at all. Right. We're just getting, we just have to like confirm, you know, through technological means that they, they looked at it. Right. Right. That the they, webcam does like an eye, yeah. a retina scan three times during the program at the beginning, the middle and the end. And our hope is that the strength of our content alone. Right. Right. Is going to maybe inspire them to write a review, but maybe not. Right. I mean, they could maintain their, their integrity in that sense. Mm-hmm. Although again, people are going to ask questions about like, oh, you were paid by this person. So therefore... But if everybody is, is suspect, paid, are you saying that this is, are you saying that this is just how all attention is apportioned? Or are you saying that, uh, this is something we do to sort of jumpstart out, uh, like, you know, that this would be something that like you and I would do as creators to jumpstart the amount of attention that we could get because we're not super well known. 
Uh, well, I wouldn't say this is how all attention works because like that would be too uh, simplistic of a future, I feel like, to imagine. Uh-huh. I'm saying more like, could this be like... Uh, in the midst of all the other ways so that we have a of doing it. Yeah, basically. yeah. So, uh, you know, um, you see an ad on the internet that says, get paid to read comic books. And you're like, I like comic books. I, I'd like to get paid to read comic books. You click that button. Right. You go through a login process. And then and there you're are offers yeah. on the site. And depending on the click volume and stuff, the algorithm adjusts the offers. And, you know, it has some, it's like Uber, basically. It creates some kind of like, marketplace that it thinks is fair according to whatever its rules are and if you if the price is right and you're willing to take a chance on something you get the money and you get thing and you pay attention to it and then once that's verified now you're not now ostensibly you wouldn't get paid you know like first of all you get paired with content that you know matched your demographic or information right? right you'd have to put all that in right right also, you'd, but maybe we could read that off your Facebook or whatever. That might be automated. Also, you'd get paid more if you, again, were rich in attention, if you had a lot of followers. Presumably, it might want it, the system might be interested in that. I see. So maybe it would pay you more if you yourself are a influencer. Right. I, I guess I feel like this, is, this seems like something that we're already trying to create on the internet. Yeah, it just seems like it doesn't exist exactly in such a pure way as I'm sure. describing. Okay, so I think there's two things going on here because I think there's there's advertising moving to a stealth influencer-based model, which is already happening, right? Mm-hmm. Where like a company now might rather pay a girl with a bunch of Instagram followers to use their product in an Instagram photo than to make what we would consider an ad. I mean, that's still an ad. Absolutely. I think it, it meets my definition of an ad, but it's not. it doesn't go through an advertising agency. It's not a traditional ad by... It's not a, even like a Google ad. It's not called an ad. It's a kind of native embedded marketing. Right? Yes, it's marketing, yeah. But, but it's still, I think that's still an ad. I think that's just a technicality because um, they're paying her and she has eyeballs and she poses with the product and, you know, or she mentions it or whatever. And then that's, that's one thing. That's definitely going to happen more. Um, and I could see there being a centralized marketplace for that. I mean, right now that's being done through a very ad hoc system where like there are people whose job it is to be like influencer management. And I, I have a friend who does this. So I've talked to somebody who does this and it's an insane job. That's like one of these. Well, an influencer is, I think is an example that something new is going on here, right? Because that's a new term, right? right? So influencer is what they're now calling people who have a lot of followers online. But that, like, again, does that concept has have an analog 50 years ago? To well, some... it's the same as a star. I guess. Except there's just a lot more of them, and right. it just seems silly to call them stars. I right. mean, I think that's the reason. I okay. Think we, it, it's really just a star. Uh, these influencers are people who have this small amount of fame, um, and it's digital fame, particularly. Mm-hmm. That's the medium that they work in. And then there's people, and these people are kind of like an agent or something for an actor but what their job is is to sort of interface between the brands and the like 18 year old kids who do vines or whatever right right and i could see that becoming like more of like an online marketplace where you just you know the influencer is like this is how many youtube followers i have this is what i charge for a shout out this is what i charge for uh but an see embedded okay but, but see that's the thing that i'd want to get rid of okay so when i say attention auctions i'm trying to make this l- not more sleazy, but less sleazy to, to my aesthetics, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is to say that paying someone for a shout out or to just wear your thing in this stealth way. Right. To me, 
feels manipulative and and I, I mean I don't know it doesn't appeal to me I see why it works I see why both parties engage in it but so Kevin Kelly's book right had this idea that everybody was going to become themselves an advertising platform right, right. which is what is happening when you agree to give a shout out or you agree to yeah. put something on your show yeah right or like if I'm a regular Joe Schmo I could agree to have my augmented T-shirt like carry your brand even on Facebook, as I walk when down you the click street like on a brand's page you're doing this like. You're you're now advertising that brand for free on your profile. Right, right. I and mean, that's the smallest version of it. But yeah. So are, is there is there no incentive to just realign this to the way that I'm describing? Because I would rather like what I'd li- like to do, right, which it, I feel like would align incentives better in some ways, right? Would be rather than having this like sort of stealth stuff where people are like being paid to endorse things that they maybe do or do not like. I mean, they have some choice over, I guess, what they endorse, right? But oh yeah, they have a lot of choice over what. But like, I would like to sit down at my computer, mm-hmm. right? And like, rather than just being bombarded by like the mess that is the internet, right? I would like to have some kind of dashboard that is like, here are like some things that you can look at, and here's what they're willing to pay you. Yeah, I mean, there is a model that does this on the internet, but it's a super what is that skeevy model that nobody does, which is it's those like. I got paid money for filling out a survey. Right. You see those. And I always wonder about that, right? Obviously what's going on there is they are on some level, they're scamming you because you're not going to really get paid as much as they say. You're not going to get an iPad. That's the part that seems totally bogus. That's bogus. And then the part of it that's not bogus is they're going to show you ads and then they're going to, they're going to give you like a gift card or something in exchange for seeing those ads. And that's going to have some value to you. I mean, that part of it's probably true. It's, I don't know if the hourly rate is worth it. I've never bothered to try one of these, but uh, I would imagine it isn't, but um, the incentives to me don't seem to line up that you could get companies to do this instead of what they're already doing, partially because of this problem we or just this phenomenon we talked about earlier, which is that there's a difference between getting your attention and keeping it. And the getting of it part seems like it's always going to push toward stealth like kind of just constantly moving the goalposts on what an ad looks and feels like and how your brain knows this is an ad i should stop paying attention okay so basically it seems like this is not a solution to anything and maybe maybe the, I, maybe i'm wrong but that, uh, that's that's my guess I, I, I don't know i mean i'm just floating ideas here sure. again this is this yeah. is an exploratory podcast sure uh so <laughs> but i i think um there is this problem of misaligned incentives mm-hmm. with advertising that's Again, it, I don't want to say it's anything new, but I do feel like it's, in some ways, more impactful. It's more powerful, maybe, yeah. than it used to be. But uh, it's always been a problem with ad-driven services. The other thing is that more things are ad-driven. More things are ad seem to be ad-driven. Like, or the types of things that we get supplied in this fashion have like expanded to things like email, right? right that you right. know wouldn't have existed, right? Um, so. Uh, maybe what you said about just, you know, it, the, the, essentially the user has to do it and they probably need the help of an AI that's on their side, right? Yeah. That, that, that explicitly is invested in their interest. But the problem with right. things like Siri is that's not really on your side either because... Well, well, this is a big difference between, in theory, between something like Siri and something like Google Assistant. Right. Where Google Assistant is definitely not on your side. Right. Google Assistant wants to show you the most relevant ads that you're most likely to click but it wants to sell ads for Google. I mean, that is its primary directive, you know? It's got to be. It would be foolish for them to do anything else. 
Uh, Siri, on the other hand, because the economics of Apple are different from Google because you buy hardware from them uh, and then it you own it, in theory, they're... In theory, yeah. They have more uh, incentive to actually serve you and not serve uh, an ad platform's goals. Well, and this kind of um, comes back to like our digital... They have, their own, yeah. they have their own goals of like keeping you an Apple customer. So mm-hmm. there's ways they won't serve you. Like they're not going to make it easy for you to get your data out of Siri. Like that right. they won't do. But in terms of this ad thing, I think they're much more likely to serve you in that respect. Um, and of course, there's no reason why you can't run an AI assistant from a completely third party that you pay them for, mm-hmm. you know, a subscription model or however it works, however you think it's most aligned to give you the service you want. You know, um, n- none of these things are really that deeply tied to hardware. Uh, I think they're just big projects and that's why the, the companies that are making them are these big companies. Um, so, so maybe like a rule of thumb for the future is, you know, and, and in general in life, right? Like the really important things arguably you want to you want to pay for them i would say that your digital assistant would be one of the things that you would want to pay for it right you would want you want to be the customer of the maker of that assistant the person whose actually job it is to program that thing and you want to be the person that they care about pleasing which means you right. need to be paying them directly because then your incentives are aligned with your digital assistant if you're getting your digital assistant for free in the future it is not working for you fully it has another master. And so like, right. I would say like advice for the future would be, you should be buying your digital assistant and not necessarily just getting it, you know, for free. Yeah. I'm not sure that, that it's as clean as that because there is another thing that makes these services work for you. And that's competition. Um, because if they have to, if your eyeballs are what's being sold are the product, mm-hmm. you know, then they need to keep you happy if there are sufficient other services that you can jump to with sufficiently low costs. And if you become unhappy because you feel like, oh, I'm always tricked by this thing to look at stuff I don't care about, then you're likely to, to search for alternatives if such alternatives exist. I, I, I agree with that. So uh, that and, and we talked about that to some extent on the digital that assistant. Should, that should push back some episode. Yeah. It should push back somewhat. Um, I would just be worried again, something else we talked about on the digital assistant episode is the fact that these services are sticky. Um, right, once they, they know you, it's, it's, it's hard to, there is competition, but it's, you know, it's harder to leave them and join another one than, than I would like. Right. Right. And just, if you're not, if you're doubting that, just ask when the last time you changed smartphone OS as well. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I think that's true. I think you get locked in, especially if you start spending money, you get locked in really quickly. Well, so we know all the companies that are making digital assistants, right? Or we know a lot of them. Well, we know the big companies. There are startups making them. But yeah, we know there's the four big ones. There's Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. Right. And which of those do you think has the least compromised incentives? Oh, God. They're all pretty compromised. I think... um, I mean, the one I'm most worried about is unfortunately the one I use the most, which is Google. Mm-hmm. because they are the most committed to a free service advertising model. And at this point, because I'm so committed to using their excellent services, uh, they know more about me than probably anybody. Uh, so they're the ones that I would feel like would have the best toolkit if they wanted to really trap me in a Skinner box. Amazon's got its own weird incentives, you know, cause they want, you know, they want to make you buy stuff from them. 
But I would like the idea. So the idea, though, of like a new startup, which I again, I know, as you mentioned, there are some of these out there. Yeah. Um, that is not directly affiliated with an existing media or software company. Right. Um, or advertising platform, which is, I think, the most important. Yeah. Thing. But something where, where being, assisting your life is their main business. Right. They, all they want to do is make you happy to your, uh, to your own specifications. Right. And I think, you know, to be absolutely sure of that, they'd probably have to charge you. Whether that's 10 bucks a month or whatever. Um, right. You could definitely see that pr- product being worth that money. Right. Um, especially if part of its feature set is that it aggressively protects you from having to deal with any negative consequences of all of the free services that you use, right? Um, well, I mean, one of the things you want an assistant to do in the real world, like a personal assistant, is to filter your communications. Right. Right? They take, they take your phone calls. They only send through the ones you want. Right. Right? They put, they do research for you. Right. Right. So just, you want that for all the internet. I think that seems like a reasonable thing to expect. And that is, I think you correctly brought that up. That is maybe the best solution to this sort of like psychological war to like steal our eyeballs. Well, it, it's the only thing I can think of that puts the incentive in the right place. Yeah. Um, especially since, uh, all software is being continuously developed, but AI assistant software is something that you would expect would have a high degree of consistent development. So you'd really need to probably be continuously paying them to make the thing better in ways that actually make your life better. Now, of course, then we, and and this episode needs to probably be wrapped up at this point because this now suddenly turns into a totally different topic. But so... (laughs) Our Philip K. Dick ending. No, because because if now, if you imagine that the assistant is doing um, the filtering for you, then you run into the other thing that has people wringing their hands these days, the filter bubble concept, right? It's it's the fact right. that now now okay, the assistant has your best interest in mind, right. but but your interests aren't actually good enough, right? Like here is I guess the concern, like right, like, but that can be technologically attacked, right? Right, well, there can be a degree of randomness, right? Which, like, if it was my assistant, I'd be turning that up high because I like to get weird stuff, um, and I think that's a problem for me with current tools, uh, and then there's also you could just tell it like how much you want to be challenged. Well, so like, what is the worst dystopia, right? Like if you, if you, okay. So there's, I think there's like a two, like a spectrum now that's forming in my head. Right. And all the way to one extreme is like, you know, total filter bubble. Yeah. Like you only ever see what it is you want to see. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're like the kind of person that wants to mix in some randomness and some other points of view, that's available to you. Although many people may or may not do that. Right. Okay. Um, Sure. It's a uh, setting. Right? It's not the default. And, and you got to assume a lot of people won't necessarily do that. Sure. Um, and then on the other extreme, uh, there's just this like Darwinian war for your attention that's going to use every psychological trick in the book to try to get you to see its message, whether or not that message is of any use to you. Right. Well, if you're asking which of those results in a more complete filter bubble, I think it's pretty clearly the second one. Right, right. I guess because like the first one, right, where you have the, the settings controlling your own filters yeah right is one where you can aspire to be like better than what your primitive psychology actually wants yeah right you can actually like in in moments of like calm rationality you can say like i want to pay more attention to x and actually like exercise that whereas in the other world you're just at the whims of your psychology and yeah 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 i think you curate more rationally than you click 
Right. You know, because you start to imagine some stuff, you start to connect with your goals, your far mode goals, and you end up with a more like idealized, civilized version of yourself, you know? Right. And if you don't have that control, if you leave it all to, of course, an algorithm can help you guess things or um, can watch your behavior and help you guess. But if you don't have any input, if it's only trained by your behavior. Right then it's by definition, it's only, it's going to work on the things that work regardless of whether they have any other value. And an assistant company that you were, that had a stake in pleasing you and only you because you were its primary customer. Right. Right. And it wasn't working on an ad model. um, Could make the default things that are good for their customers could make that case to their customers. Right. Because they they know that that would. Right. And it allows you to override them selectively it allows you to override them but it's you know right. it could do the kind of like like rather than the default settings being like uh you know what the advertisers want and yeah you have to reach in and turn stuff off or like add the randomness in right right they could actually like could set default the default settings to something that seems like healthy you know or like something that they could make that could be the case they make you right, know right right um or they could have a rep at the company that works with you on that you know getting those settings right um, they could even be proactive like that. I mean, that could be part of the service. Yeah, it could be part of the setup of the AI even. Like, yeah. Could probably just ask you a shit ton of questions and yeah, get get to know your your actual habits versus what you say and try to figure out what balance you want, <laughs> right? I mean, think for me, like I'd want a balance between who I really am and who I hope to be. Yeah. Because I can't be who I hope to be all the time, <laughs> but I don't really want to be who I really am all the time either. I want to kind of push toward this better place. So that's a company I want to see. I don't know if that's probably not viable at all, unfortunately. But well, I think the ups, the startup costs of doing a, an, a, an AI assistant are pretty high right now. But mm-hmm. my guess is that that'll commoditize as more parts of the stack get, you know, get done. And then you've got all this problem of like data that's behind walls, right? I mean, again, it, it wants, it needs, the, that's the problem with these, you know, is right. that the companies that are making the digital assistants they all have, own either a search engine or a huge store of data, like Amazon's purchase data or something already. And that's got to be how they're feeding it, right? They got, I mean, these are all sort of yeah. deep learning based products. They've got to be feeding it just oceans of existing data to try to get it. But you know what? There is a big uh, analog hole here to uh-huh. perception, right? Which is that like, if, if the assistant software has access to my vision and to my hearing, right? Um, then it's seeing whatever I'm interacting with, you know, and it can create a mirror database of whatever I do with Google, right? Like, in other words, if I type into oh, Google... like if you had a c- camera on your glasses that was shooting the screen of the computer you're looking at kind of thing? Exactly, right? So, like, Google gets that search information, but there's no reason my glasses couldn't also get that search engine because that information is just existing in real space and can be captured. Now, right, again, it has right. to be a pretty sophisticated camera to do that, but it does mean that you could extract this data without necessarily negotiating access to it legally. Um, well, let's wrap the podcast there. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think we covered this topic. It's we, actually filled an hour, no problem. Yeah, we, we wandered around, but um, that's another episode. And Yeah, thanks for listening. Until next time. I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cover, And you've been listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.